our subject tonight on the attributes of God is the power of God. The, there is great difficulty in attempting to describe the power of God. Where do you begin? Um, I want to begin with what happened in 1980 on May 18th. The 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens is the most studied volcanic eruption of the 20th century. Months before it erupted, the U.S. Geological Survey established a base of operations at Vancouver, Washington to monitor the volcano. On May 18th, survey scientist David Johnston was camping on Coldwater Ridge only a few miles north of Mount St. Helens. I went to school uh, for four years in, in Portland, and when the sun is out in Portland, if you've been in the Northwest at all, which, by the way, is a rare occurrence, but when the sun is out in, in Portland or in Seattle, there's no more beautiful place on the face of the earth than the, than the Northwest because when the sun is out, you can see all these majestic volcanic peaks. When you're in Portland and the sun's out, um, you, look, you, you look to the east and you see Mount... Um, um, Rainier. No, Rainier's in uh, Seattle. Mount Hood. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, if you're at a high location, if you're up in Portland at, at Washington Park, you can, when the sun was out, you could see Mount Hood. You could look down, and you could see the three sisters about 100 miles away, snow-capped peaks. If you looked uh, north, Cross the Columbia River into the state of Washington, you'd see Mount St. Helens. I remember seeing Mount St. Helens all of the time. Cone, snow-capped peak. On May 18th, David Johnson was camping on Coldwater Ridge, only a few miles north of Mount St. Helens. The eruption occurred that morning. At 8.32 a.m., Johnson radioed the USGS base and proclaimed, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. The ensuing volcanic blast devastated the northern flank of the volcano, killing Johnston and 56 other victims. At the same time, geologists Keith and his wife Dorothy Stoffel were flying in a light plane only 400 meters above the summit of Mount St. Helens. From their vantage point, they witnessed one of the largest landslides ever recorded in historic times. Seconds later, a massive explosion shot out the north side of the volcano towards Coldwater Ridge and Spirit Lake. The explosion generated a billowing cloud with numerous lightning bolts thousands of meters high. The cloud began to expand rapidly towards their aircraft and appeared to be gaining on them, but by turning south, they managed to outrun it and survive. A friend of mine, Stu Weber, who pastors a church in Gresham, Oregon, right across the river from Mount St. Helens, was driving in his pickup with one of his boys to church that morning. That sucker went off. Um, uh, here's a description of what happened when May, Mount St. Helens blew. Uh, it was May 18th, 1980, 8.32 a.m. Eruption was triggered by a 5.1 earthquake centered beneath the mountain. The height of Mount St. Helens was 9,677 feet before the eruption and 8,363 feet immediately after. 
That's a lot of mountain that was vaporized and that disappeared instantaneously. They referred to the landslide they saw from their small plane. The largest landslide in recorded history swept down the mountains at speeds of 70 to 150 miles per hour and buried the north fork of the Toodle River under an average of 150 feet of debris. Some areas are covered by as much as 600 feet of debris. In all, approximately 23 square miles of material was removed from the mountain. The blast, the lateral blast, swept out of the north side of Mount St. Helens, now catch this, at 300 miles per hour, creating a 230-square-mile fan-shaped area of devastation reaching a distance of 17 miles from the crater. Uh, with temperatures as high as 660 degrees Fahrenheit and the power of 24 megatons of thermal energy, it snapped 100-year-old trees like toothpicks and stripped them of their bark. Uh, that comes out to 4 billion... Um, I want to get this right. I want to get it exactly right. That comes out to um, 4 billion board feet of timber, which is enough to build about 300,000 two-bedroom homes. Douglas fir trees, if you've been in the Northwest, they just snap like toothpicks, strip the bark off. You know, guys, that's what you call power. That's power. Um, the snow on Mount St. Helens that was not instantly flashed to steam by the heat melted and formed large mud flows that destroyed 27 bridges, 200 homes, 185 miles of roadway, and 15 miles of railway. The massive ash cloud grew to 80,000 feet in 15 minutes and reached the East Coast in three days. Although most of the ash fell within 300 miles of the mountain, finer ash circled the earth in 15 days and may continue to stay in the atmosphere for many years. Uh, 57 people were killed as, as a result of the eruption. Of these, 21 bodies were never recovered from the blast uh, zone. Uh, animals, 7,000 big game animals, 12 million Chinook and Coho salmon and millions of birds and small animals uh, died in the eruption. Um, the effects on the Columbia River, it reduced the channel depth. And the Columbia River is a, is a massive river, huge river. Some of you guys are nodding your head. You've seen it. Reduced the channel depth from 40 to 14 feet. Um, Stranded 31 ships in upstream ports. They just couldn't get back down. It was too shallow. Uh, that's power. That's power. And some of you guys recall um, the, one of the uh, photographers that was there to film the blast that was further away um, he had a tape recorder uh, going and was making a report by tape when the blast blew, uh, grabbed his equipment, and maybe you remember seeing this, and began uh, to run for his life as this blast of, um, of air and ash and timber and mountain uh, 
was, was pursuing him. And as he was running and the tape was going and the film was filming, uh, if you remember that, you remember the emotion. Uh, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to die. Oh, I'm going to die. Oh God, save my life. Oh, it was unbelievable. He survived remarkably. Uh, that's a description of a massive demonstration of power from our perspective. It, it's, not a, um, it's not a wisp of an eyelash of power from God's perspective. Uh, how do you begin to talk about the power of God? Um, we wouldn't know Christ without the power of God. It was the power of God that resurrected us from the dead. We talked about this last week. Uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, so God had to resurrect our hearts and open our eyes so that we would see the truth of the gospel and we would say, Lord Jesus, come into our lives. Um, we, we could hit this from 58 different angles, but uh, let's, try, let's try three angles and depending on time, we might go for four. All right? Here's the first angle on the power of God, if you're taking notes. Um, the first angle on God's power is that God's name is power. His name is power. Genesis 17.1. When God called Abraham... Abraham was just a pagan. Abraham was not pursuing God. Abraham was, uh, was not interested in God, but God went after him. And in Genesis 17, 1, it says, Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. What does that mean? Break it down. I am God, not just mighty, I am all mighty. I am God of all might. I am the God of all power. There are different names that God has in the scriptures. Uh, the, in Genesis 17:1, he is El Shaddai. We translate that the almighty God. Uh, all power is within him. He owns power. He is power. This term El Shaddai referring to the fact that he is God of all might, he is God of all power, uh, is used 47 times in the Old Testament. Uh, it's used nine times in the New Testament. Uh, when, when you think about the scriptures, there are all kinds of descriptions of the power of God throughout the Bible. Uh, the, the Bible is a testament to the power of God. Uh, we could use illustration after illustration after illustration. But uh, the place to begin when you speak of the power of God is creation. Creation. Evolution is an amazing thing. It's so amazing that it's nonsense. Uh, it, it, is it not surprising that uh, there is such a thing as evolution? I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because uh, the world system is against God. The world system is opposed to God. They hate God. Uh, they want to deny his existence. 
Uh, they want to deny his truth. They want to live as though he isn't there. And we live in a culture now where um, the accepted perspective on creation um, is one of total and absolute foolishness. How can I say this? Evolution is a crock. I think it's crockizo in the Greek. Actually, I just made that up. There, there is a movement uh, happening in the scientific world right now that is being savagely attacked called intelligent design. When you hear about intelligent design, it simply says that, you know, when you look at the world and you look at what it is that exists and you look at how it functions and how it uh, relates and how everything is in symmetry and all this, there obviously, there obviously was an intelligent designer. Now, if you stand up in the academic community and say you hold to that, you will be mocked and scorned and ridiculed and run out of town and you will lose tenure. You, you won't get tenure. You know what tenure is, don't you? It's a system put into place so that fools uh, uh, can be paid uh, by the educational system so that they have the freedom to become greater fools. That they can say anything they want and develop as much nonsense as possible and they're absolutely protected. Um, I, I've been reading a, a, a book by William Dembski on intelligent design and he answers uh, opposition to intelligent design. If you read some of Philip Johnson's stuff, Philip Johnson is a law professor at University of California and, all he, and what Johnson has done, he's written some books that have just absolutely turned this thing on, on its head in the academic world. Uh, because he's not a scientist, but he's an attorney, and he talks about logic, and he talks about arguments, and he just, he just devastates these guys. Uh, you know, the Scripture is very clear. God, God created the world. And the way that he created the world is what we call ex nihilo. He, he created it out of nothing. It didn't evolve from one form to a higher form. He spoke it into existence. Um, Romans 4.17 says this. It says, He gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Uh, that's how God created. In, in a moment, in a moment, there were no stars, then there were stars. There were no trees. There were no trees, and then God spoke trees into existence, and there were trees. And by the way, those trees that God created, they weren't little seedlings. You ever thought about this? What God created, God created with apparent age. Uh, Adam was not an infant. Adam was a fully developed, mature man. He wasn't a child. What God created, so, so God created trees that were mature. If you had to cut them, they would have had tree rings. Isn't that interesting? God created the world with apparent age, even though it was brand new. He spoke it into existence. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn uh, quickly to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Not only did he call it into existence, not only did he speak it into existence, but it's by his power that 
it continues um, to, to exist. Uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3. And he, meaning Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And catch this. And he upholds all things, all things by the word of his power. Not only did he create it, but he sustains it. He keeps it going. He keeps everything in harmony. He keeps everything in balance. Every, um, I found this in my file. I think this is from John MacArthur. I think. I know it's not from me. Here's what MacArthur wrote in regard to the fact that he upholds all things by the word of his power. John wrote, consider, for example, if the earth's rotation slowed down just a little bit, we would alternately freeze or burn. The sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it were any closer or further, we would alternately, alternately freeze or burn. It's hard to burn after you've frozen, been frozen, but you get the point. You see, it doesn't fluctuate. He upholds it by the word of his power. Our globe is tilted at an exact angle of 23 degrees, which enables us to have four seasons. If it weren't tilted that way, vapors from the ocean would move north and south and pile up monstrous continents of ice, but that doesn't happen. If the moon did not remain in its exact distance from the earth, think about that. If it didn't remain in that exact distance, in that orbit which God has set in motion, the ocean tides would inundate the land completely twice a day. And of course, after the first time, we wouldn't care about the second. You get, you get the point. If the ocean floor was merely slipping to a few feet deeper than it actually is now, carbon dioxide and oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere would be completely absorbed and no vegetable life could exist on Earth. But vegetable life does exist on Earth. Isn't that amazing? He upholds all things by the word of his power. Do you know what it takes for you to get that asparagus on your plate? It wouldn't happen if he didn't uphold all things by the word of his power. If the atmosphere did not remain constant but thinned out and did not remain at its same constancy, many of the meteors which are now harmlessly burned up when they hit our atmosphere would constantly bombard us and we would all have to live underground. But that doesn't happen. Because he upholds all things by the word of his power. He created the universe. He spoke it into existence. Uh, that shouldn't surprise us because uh, you go into the New Testament when Jesus showed up, um, Jesus had, did some amazing works of power. Uh, not necessarily, well, here's what I'm thinking of. There was a man with a withered hand. Jesus said, stretch forth thy hand. And this man's hand that had been withered and atrophied for years and years and years, which was like a dry prune, suddenly, instantaneously, became perfect. Perfect. The muscles were perfection. The ligaments. The fingernails. To the hair on the knuckles. That's power. There was a man in John 9 who was blind from birth from birth Jesus healed him uh, and the Pharisees uh, had to call a 9-11 commission I mean uh, a uh, 
they had to call a, uh, a, a committee together to find out what it was that really had happened because they just couldn't quite believe what, and I love the blind guy in John 9. And they kept questioning. He goes, hey, you, what, you, wait, wait, you, you, do you want to become disciples of his? No, oh, of course not. No, we're disciples of Moses. Well, you know, Moses never did what he did. Um, that's the power of God. Uh, talk about Abraham. God shows up to Abraham, the Almighty One. So what happens? Here's uh, God told Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a they're going to have a child. Well, Abraham's 100 years old and Sarah's 90. Uh, guys that are 100 years old don't have erections. That guy just woke up back there. <laughs> but they don't. They don't. Uh, I'm talking now pre-chemical days. I'm talking... See all these idiot advertisements on TV? These guys dancing around and... Yeah. My gosh, get a life. Suckers are drug addicts. Uh, Abraham was 100 years old. Uh, she's 90 years old. It was the power of God that enabled them. Think of all that had to happen biologically within a man and a woman in order for them to have a child, for her to give birth and to live and to survive. Uh, so he was the father of the Jews. So you got Isaac, you got Jacob, you got Joseph. Oh, and then there was a dream that Pharaoh had. We talked about this last week. Uh, seven fat cows, seven lean cows. You know why Pharaoh had that dream? Because of the power of God. Uh, so then Joseph's appointed. He brings his uh, brothers and his father and his family uh, settles in Goshen and then generations go by and the Bible says that a Pharaoh rose who didn't know Joseph and he enslaved them and uh, the Hebrews were becoming numerous and the order was given from Pharaoh that if it's a male child that you kill it but the midwives wouldn't do it and right at that time there's this young boy uh, young, young baby uh, boy who was born and they named him Moses it's a bad time to have a male son but uh, uh, he was born by the power of God because God had a work for him to do. And he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the palace by, uh, by his mother. But he was a, a son of Pharaoh, in line to be Pharaoh. Uh, he has to run for his life when he's 40 years old. Uh, out of a burning bush that doesn't burn, that's power, God uh, tells him to go back uh, to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh won't let the people go so God begins to do works of power even when he called Moses um, God demonstrated his power because Moses had lost all confidence and so God told him to throw down his rod and when he threw down his rod it became a, a serpent a snake yeah oh and then God said God said pick up the snake by the tail you don't pick up snakes by tails but he did, and he wasn't harmed. And then the plagues began to hit Egypt, and so the Nile was turned to blood. All the water was turned to blood. That's power. 
Locusts came in like that. Uh, frogs were everywhere. That's power. Hey, we're just barely out of the first five books of the Bible. We haven't even gotten to Elijah yet. We haven't gotten to Elisha yet. So Elijah shows up and says to Ahab, it's not going to rain until God says it's going to rain. And you know what? It didn't rain for three and a half years. Flat out, not a drop of water. That's power. That's power. In that same region, uh, centuries and centuries later, the Son of God would be ministering. Uh, one day he was exhausted from ministering. Uh, he got in the boat, he went to sleep, a storm came up like these guys had never seen. And they panicked and they were afraid and they woke him up and said, Lord, aren't you afraid? Lord, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And, and Jesus got up and he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the waves and he spoke to the storm and he said, be still. And they were still. Instantaneously, immediately. That is wild. Those suckers had to be in a state of shock. I mean, were they not stunned by the power of of God. For, for three years, they watched his power. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable demonstrations of power all the way through the Bible. You get into Revelation. Chuck's been teaching Revelation for 14 years. <laughs> He's getting close to finishing, isn't he? I think he is. The two witnesses are going to show up. We don't know who the two witnesses are. Yeah, we've got theories. But whoever those two witnesses are, they're going to demonstrate the power of God. And they're going to be killed. And the whole world is going to watch uh, the scene in, uh, in Jerusalem. And they're going to see their dead bodies. The whole world. And then there's going to be a moment where they are going to be resurrected and brought to life by the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. See, all the way through the scriptures, you've got the power of God, and the world always attempts to deny the power of God. The Pharisees attempted to deny it. Well, this is not the Son of God. Who the heck do you think this is, man? Nobody's ever done this. This is God in the flesh. The world system says, there is no creator. There, 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 there was no, what happened in Genesis is a myth. So they've come up with this, this foolishness called evolution. You know, it's interesting about Charles Darwin, who denied the truth of God. Darwin, as life went by, his, his life fell apart. You know, Darwin lost his ability to, to taste. He couldn't even taste. Isn't that amazing? God gave him over. See, every good gift comes down from above. He denied God. Um, Guys, the power of God is everywhere. We exist by the power of God. We breathe by the power of God. Uh, the, sun, the, the orbits are all set. They're, they're, that's by the power of God. Uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty, is Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and catch this. He upholds all things by the word of his power without effort. Without effort. He doesn't expend effort when he uses his power. We do. We, we use power and we get tired. 
you work hard, you expend energy. Uh, you take a Saturday and you clear a brush and uh, you dig some, a, a ditch or something. You're putting in a sprinkler system. Man, after eight hours, you are whipped. You are exhausted. God never loses power. Never. He's El Shaddai. God has power. Now let me give you a second angle on the power of God. Um, uh, and, and this is great. Oh, by the way, in, 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 in Hebrews 1, 3, and, and I almost forgot this, when it says, he upholds all things by the word of his power, uphold, that, that's, that's present tense. In other words, he continuously upholds all things by the word of his power. So we don't have to worry about... Uh, you know, the, the tides and the moon. We don't have to worry about being inundated tomorrow. He continuously upholds all things by the word of his power. He controls it all. Here's a second angle on the power of God. Not only is God's name power, but catch this. This is sweet. God has power over his power. You stop and think about that. Power in the wrong hands is hell. So, we've been suspicious that North Korea has atomic weapons. Now it turns out they may have as many as seven uh, warheads. North Korea. That guy's nuts. That guy's crazy. We thought they had one. Now they, 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 they got seven. You know what the problem with that guy in North Korea is? He's got power but he doesn't have power over his power. Um, some guys, when they get drunk, they start beating their wives. They start beating kids. They start, see, they've got power. You've got more power than your wife. You've got more power than you. But, but see, a guy that starts beating his wife, he has no power over his power. Somebody that abuses a child has no power over, they have power over the child, they're bigger than the child, but they have no power over their power. They can't contain their power. They're not mature enough to handle the power. You see, uh, when, when power falls into the wrong hands, uh, it is dangerous. Uh, so, so even in, in our day and age, the big deal is, there, where are the weapons of mass destruction? And we hear this all the time. Um, well, we don't know. I, I tell you, I got a clue where they are. They're in those mosques is where they are. But nobody's going in there and checking them out because it's, uh, anyway. That's just a theory of mine, and I'm going to move off it real quick. But uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, but again, all right, so there are no weapons of mass destruction. Well, we know that there were because the guy gassed his own people. Uh, shot missiles at Israel. Uh, had rape rooms. You know, a rape room is a weapon of mass destruction. You live in Iraq. You got a nine-year-old daughter. You didn't know if she was going to be taken in there and raped by 10, 15, 20 guys. You know, they got all kinds of guys in Iraq walking around. See, one of the things we're doing right now is we've got medical teams in there uh, fitting people with uh, prosthesis to, you know, give them, move, give them a hand. He didn't have a hand. They cut it off. 
uh, why did that happen? Because somebody had power, but they didn't have power over their power. Augustus Strong wrote this. God has power over his power. In other words, this power is under the control of his wise and holy will. When we kicked this study off, we said the primary attribute of God is holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is moral purity. God has power over his power because of his character. And what is, what is his major attribute, his outstanding attribute? It's Holiness. So the power of God is under the control of his wise and holy will. In other words, God has willpower over his power. His wisdom superintends his power. Richard Watson, in his Institutes of Theology, which I know you were reading last night, says this. He said, it is a mighty conception to think of a power from which all other power is derived. We've got to read this slow. We've got to get this. Anybody nodding off here yet? Just pull it together. Just, you know, just take a deep breath. You've got to catch this. Because this is our God that he's describing. He says, it is a mighty conception to think of a power from which all other power is derived. And to which all other power is subordinate which nothing can oppose, which can beat down and annihilate all other powers, whatever. A power which operates in the most perfect manner. It operates in an instant with the utmost ease. Uh, the power of God is inconceivable and boundless. It arises from the infinite perfection of God, and that his power can never be actually exhausted, and in every imaginable instant in eternity, that inexhaustible power of God can, if it please him, be adding either more creatures to those in existence or greater perfection to those already in existence. It's pretty wild. Um. I just pulled together a few verses on the power of God. It's just kind of a, kind of a, you ever go through a salad bar and they got all this different stuff? I kind of went through a salad bar and I just plopped some verses. Take that verse, that verse, some out of Ge Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? What's the answer to that? No. Why? Because he's the God of all power. He's God of all might. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, nothing is too difficult for thee. In Je Jeremiah 32, verse 27, God says, is anything too difficult for me? The answer is no. In Matthew 3, 9, uh, Jesus said, God is able to raise up these stones. From these stones, he's able to raise up children of Abraham. That's an amazing thing, and it's really true. God could raise up from stones children. In Ezekiel, he made dry bones. There was, a, there, there was just a valley of bones, and he raised them up. That's the power of God. When Jesus, well, you recall this, the crucifixion. He could have appealed to his father, and his father would have sent 12 legions of angels. That's power. 
Um, Jesus said in reference to the fact of whether or not a rich man could be saved, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Luke one thirty seven. nothing will be impossible with God. It's a reference to the incarnation, a virgin birth. Nothing is impossible with God. How can a virgin have a baby? Virgins don't have babies. Uh, But a virgin had a baby. That's the power of God. All the way through the scriptures, guys, we, we, we see the power of God. Now, here's where we're going with this. This power is working in our lives. This power is available to us. Um, but I'm getting, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, what we need to note about God and his power is that when it comes to the power of God, there is self-restraint with God and his power. Oftentimes, when we have power, there's no restraint. Uh, what was it that Lord Acton said? Anybody remember about power? Absolute power, absolute, let me do that again. Absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. Why? Because of our characters. We cannot handle absolute power. That's why when the founding fathers of this nation tried to put together a form of government, they came up with three different branches in order to keep a separation of powers and a balance of power. But men cannot come up with a perfect system. They, they did a pretty good job. But now, 200 years later, we're in a situation where the power is out of balance. And we've got virtual, unelected dictators in a democracy making decisions of their own counsel and individual preference in absolute disregard to the law or the principles of democracy. Why is that? Why is that? Because of our character. Um, Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So we try to set it up in such a way that nobody has absolute power. What is it that a dictator wants? A dictator wants power. How much power? All power. You're in trouble if you live under a dictator. Unless your dictator is Jesus. Because Jesus is a benevolent dictator. Jesus is head of the church. It's his church. It's his world. It's his earth. Now, we're going through a period of time where Satan is the God of this world. But that's all going to come to culmination. It's all going to come to completion. And the glory of God will be realized. And every knee will bow and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. When there's too much financial power, we get into greed. Um, when marriage loses its meaning and, and, and men are not held to their commitments, uh, you have sexual immorality and you have venereal disease and you have AIDS and you have uh, nations that fall apart and collapse from within because there's no moral restraint sexually. And what is it, I mean, is it not true? But what, what is it that we all want? We all want power. We like to, are you a control freak? I, I think most of us are. I think most of us want to be in control. Well, when you're in control, what does that mean? When you're in control, you've got the what? You've got the power. 
The guy who's in control has got the power. We like to be in control because we want the power. Um, when we get too much power, we get ourselves in trouble because of the condition of our hearts. Uh, as we grow in Jesus Christ, by his spirit, as he matures us, we learn to have power over our power. We learn to submit to his power, and as I submit to his power, as I submit to his power, then by his spirit, I have power over my power. So, do you have a problem, uh, do you have a problem with, a, with, a, with a hot temper? And, and you were quick to get into fights? Oh my gosh, man, you're 39 years old. You can't do that anymore. What do you need? You need the power of Christ in your life so that you'll have power over your power. You know, many of us have addictive personalities. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's within us. You know, some people can sip wine and all day long and sip wine and eat cheese and, and you know, chew on quiche or whatever you do. Uh, uh, and you know this. Uh, other people, they take a sip of wine and they are hooked for the rest of their lives. For the rest of their lives. Uh, There needs to be a power. So we have uh, programs in America called 12 Steps. And, and the thing that they do is they tell you that you must find a higher what? Power. Well, there's only one higher power. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God Almighty. So the second angle, and i got to watch my time. God has power over his power. The closer I get to him, the more of his power will come into my life so that I'm able to have power over my power. Uh, that's how you become a better husband. You get power over your power. Uh, uh, do, you have a, uh, do you have a critical tongue? In your home, are people built up or are people torn down? Um, do you have a critical spirit? I talked with a guy recently whose son is uh, uh, he's probably 13 he's got a great arm he's, uh, he's, a, he's, he's really developing as a pitcher uh, his, uh, his dad travels they're putting a merger together and normally his dad has been but because of the traveling he's missed more games than he's ever missed before and this year, uh, over, over this past year, uh, his son uh, won close to 10 games in a row. Now, what was interesting is that he wasn't at any of the games. When he showed up at the games, his son lost every game. And uh, finally, his young son went to him. This guy's a Christian. This guy's a believer. This guy loves the Lord, you know. He loves his kids. He loves his wife. This guy's a good guy. If he lived around here, he'd be here in this study on Wednesday nights. Uh, he's one of us. His son uh, approached him a while back and, and said, Dad, I, I, could you do me a favor? And I, This is really hard to ask for me to ask you this. And he said, well, well sure. What, what is it? He said, Dad, would you, would you not come to my games? 
that cut him to the quick. And, and he said, well, well tell me why you, you don't want me coming to your games. He said, well, well Dad, I, I, I know you don't mean to do this, but I, 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 I look up in the stands and I see you shaking your head. Um, um, on the way to the games, I, I'm tense because, because of everything you tell me to do. And, and then the thing that really messes me up is when I'm up there, I can't pitch because I'm thinking about what you're going to say to me on the way home. Now, this guy doesn't want to be this way. He loves that kid. He'd die for that kid. He'd do anything for him. You know what? He's even willing to not go to the games. And he's not going to go. He's got some things to work on. And obviously, it's just not at the games. There's a critical spirit. There's a pressure. So what's he going to work on? Lord, I need your power. Because the power you've given me, I haven't been using it wisely. I need power over my power. I need power over what I say to this boy. I need power over my expectations. I, I need power over the pressure that I put on him. I need power uh, over this attempt to vicariously live through my son, who's got such great potential. Isn't this, isn't this so subtle? See, we need his power so that we can have power over our power and use our power for good to the glory of God. I, I, I know this guy. You know what's going to happen? He's going after it. He's going to work on this. And I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. I think what's going to happen down the road is that his son is going to say, one day he's going to say, hey, Dad, why don't you come to the game tonight? I think that's going to happen. Because this guy loves the Lord and he loves his boy. And, and I know when he gets up every morning, he's saying, God, give me your power. Change me. Change my attitude. Change my words. Change my tongue. It was really a jolt. It was a shock to his system. I took a uh, personality test one time, and I failed. <laughs> now, it was one of these things called Performax. And, you know, these different instruments, and they tell you how you're wired. And you, maybe if you guys have taken it, you know they have D-I-S-C. D means you're dominant. And, uh, and I'm a D-I, which is, you know, they, they, uh, I think Smalley and Trent put animals to it. That means you're a lion. What's an I? Anybody remember? Not a mouse. Thanks a lot. Not a peacock. No. A peacock, no. <laughs> it's I, it's, oh, an otter, an otter. An otter just likes to have, is good with people, you know. So a lion, otter. Yeah, you, you, you're, you, a lot of leaders are Ds. They're dominant. They got drive. But they can also, they like people and they can work with people. You see? I was reading about Ds. I took this, this thing and it talked about the strength of D's, and then, you know, the different aspects of D's. And it says, occasionally, occasionally needs a shock. A shock. Guys who are strong leaders occasionally need a shock. You know why? Because they love power. And they need to be shocked back to reality. That's what happened to this guy. 
It's happened to me. It's happened to you. There's a third angle of the power of God. And it's this. Christians are recipients of God's power. There's a great statement in Ephesians 1, verse 18. I got to tell you something. Ephesians 1 and 2 are just out of the park. Just phenomenal stuff in, in these opening chapters. In verse 18, Paul prays. Sometimes if you ever stuck when you pray and you're not sure what to pray, pray the scripture. You get stuck sometime and you're not sure what to say to the Lord, get your Bible out um, and pray the prayers that Paul prayed. Look what Paul says. He says in 118, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Catch this. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. That's a great thing to pray. Lord, help me to understand what is not just the greatness, but the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. Sometimes we get upset with God because God doesn't exercise his power when we want him to do it. That frustrates us. Um, we... we uh, we struggle with that. Uh, there is a teaching in some Christian circles that it's uh, always God's will to heal. Always. Uh, and if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. That doesn't add up. That does not add up. Sometimes the best thing out of God's wisdom as he uses his power, his wisdom and holiness controls his power, sometimes in the economy of God, the very wisest thing and best thing to do for his glory is to heal. Sometimes the best thing to do is to not heal. Does that mean that God is not powerful? God could heal everybody in a moment, in an instant. He could do it. He could do it. Uh, does God heal today? I think he does. Yeah. Now we've got these guys on TV who are healers and who rent big arenas. You know the apostles used to rent big arenas. Did you know that? And fly around in Learjet and build $3 million homes in Laguna Beach. The apostles did that. They didn't do that. Uh, that, 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 that wasn't the focus. Uh, the power of God was exercised now and then for his glory, but not all the time. Um, can I show you something in 1 Corinthians 11? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, we're told that it's always God's will to exercise his power and heal. Always. Well, in 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about the Lord's Supper, Paul says in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. If, if you're just coming to the feast 
to eat, and they didn't have communion the way that we have it today. They would have their feast, and they would get together and eat, and some of them would just come to, to eat and, and to drink, quite frankly. Uh, Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Now catch this, for this reason many among you are weak and sick. He doesn't say a few among you. He says many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That means they've died. Why? Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. There were people in the church at Corinth who had died as a judgment. There were people in the church at Corinth who were sick and who were ill and who were in sin, and it was not God's will to heal them, although he had the power to heal them. Now, we're the recipients of God's power. Uh, God's power, according to Ephesians 1, 18, and then note verses 13 and 14. Let's go back to Ephesians. It, it's our guarantee. Um, you, uh, every time you buy something today, they ask you if you want a warranty. I mean, it doesn't matter if you buy a hairdryer or if you buy a car. Do you want a warranty? And have you had any experiences with these warranties? That it covers everything except what you need to be fixed? Huh? Yeah. We got a Volkswagen. Diesel Volkswagen. Um, and uh, we got a warranty on it. And we've had problems with glow plugs. And, and had it in five times within a week. You know, the light keeps coming on. And, and, you know, it's different stuff, it's different stuff, it's, they don't fix it. Finally, you know what? It's glow plugs. You glow plugs. All right. Okay, great. Well, that's $230. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got that 100,000 mile warranty I paid extra for. Well, wait, that doesn't cover glow plugs. Well, you know what? We had this problem last year. That covered glow plugs. The guy looks it up and goes, no, that's the glow plug connectors. <laughs> or the relay or something. But not the glow plugs. Look at verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Uh, basically, what that is saying is that you were sealed. Uh, when Christ comes into your life, when he regenerates you and takes you from death into life, you are sealed and you are guaranteed by the power of God that you have eternal life and you are going to heaven. Let me ask you something. When do you get eternal life? When you die? You get eternal life when you're regenerated by the Spirit of God. Now let me ask you this. How long is eternal? It's, a long, it's forever. If Christ has come into your life, if he's regenerated you by the Spirit of God, his Spirit lives within you and you have eternal life, you will live forever. You are guaranteed a spot. You cannot be bumped. No one will give you a voucher for $200. You got a reservation. You're signed, sealed, you're delivered by the power of God. Um, uh, Jude 24. 
says this. A lot of times at the end of a service, we'll hear this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Did you catch that? Who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand. What's that? That's power. It's power to keep you from falling. It's power that gives you the ability to stand. Uh, the power is so great. Go back to Ephesians 2. The power is so great. Let's actually look at verse 5. Let's go to 4. You guys still with me? You following me? Okay. Some of you guys were raised uh, in churches where you had to get saved every week. I, I was in a church where I felt like every week, if they gave an invitation, I needed to go forward because I had sinned that week. And uh, in our denomination, we were taught that uh, you could lose your salvation. How do you lose eternal life? If you've been given eternal life, how the heck do you lose it? If, if you lost eternal life, it wasn't eternal. See, it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on him. Look at verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us who believe. It says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. See, well, guess what? We're not seated in heavenly places. That's a positional truth. That's what's going to happen, but he speaks of it in the present because it's in the future, but it's already guaranteed by the power of God so he can speak of it as a present reality. Does that make sense? That's the power of God. It's pretty good stuff, isn't it? So, Steve, I, I, what if I screw up? What if I sin? Well, you're going to sin, and you're going to screw up, but because the Spirit of God lives in you, within you, you're, you're going to confess that. You're going to deal with it. Now, if you have no desire whatsoever to deal with it, it, when you sin, it doesn't bother you, and you can just go on and on and lie and lie and commit adultery and do all this stuff, and you, you better go check out if you're a believer. If you can trample on the grace of God and spit on the grace of God, and you say, well, I, can, I can't remember if I said this last week. But John Piper tells a great story about dealing with a guy who had walked off with his wife, uh, left his wife and kids, some guy in, in his church, and, uh, and, and, and John said to the guy, he said, why in the world would you want to do this and go to hell? And the guy looked at John and says, don't you believe in eternal security? Oh, yeah, John believes in eternal security. But he believes in the, in the eternal security of a believer, not a professing believer. Not everyone who professes Christ knows Christ. Did I say this last week? I must have said it in Maine. I was in Maine last weekend. I think I said it in Maine. But it's worth saying here. You see? Believers are eternally secure. Now, it's possible to con yourself into thinking you're a believer. That's a great question. How would you know? How would you know? You know what John uh, the Baptist said to the Pharisees? He said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. You read John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is about 
the supreme need for fruit bearing. Uh, there should be fruit in your life. There should be a change. There should be uh, evidence. If the Spirit of God lives within you, it's going to come out. If life is in the tree, it's going to come out. I, I've used this illustration before, but you can, uh, in eastern Washington, you can drive for miles and miles and miles. You can drive for hundreds of miles, and all you see are apple orchards. And when you drive in the middle of uh, January, uh, if you were just, I mean, if you were some guy that didn't know anything about trees, and you're driving along and you see all these trees, you'd swear up and down. I've never seen so many dead trees in my life. But those aren't dead trees. Now they look dead because it's winter and it's dormant. Uh, uh, there are no apples. Uh, there are no leaves. There are no signs of life whatsoever. But you give it a few months. Uh, and if that's an apple tree, you know what's going to happen? It's going to produce apples. The, it, because underneath the surface, even when it's dormant, there, there is a living sap within that tree. And before long, there are going to be buds, and before long, there are going to be uh, uh, apple blossoms, and before long, there, and there's going to be a fragrance. And, and before long, there are going to be leaves, and before long, there are going to be these magnificent apples. That's the way it is in our lives. Uh, the Spirit of God produces fruit in our lives. And it cannot be counterfeited. Yeah. So someone says they're a believer and there's no fruit. I'm talking about for months and for years. And there's no interest in fruit. And there's no concern that there is no fruit. To me, that's a tip-off. Do you really know Christ? Does that make sense? That's a great question, Gil. Uh, you, want, you want me to talk to Hebrews 6? What are you, a troublemaker? <laughs> Hebrews 6 is tough. One of the toughest passages in the scripture. Yeah. Let me just look at my time. Let me do this. Um, can I give you a real quick shot on Hebrews 6? I think, uh, and I don't have time. I, I got one more deal. Let me just look at this. Let me see what I got left. Because that, that, that is an excellent question. Real quick. Hebrews 6. Most of you guys are already turning there. Hebrews 6 appears to say that... Uh, a believer can lose his salvation. That's why Hebrews 6 always comes up. But uh, just real quickly, um, let me say this about Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, in my estimation, from the whole context of, uh, of the book, is talking about... Uh, professing believers with their lips who have never in their heart exercised faith in their heart of hearts to believe in Christ. Prof they profess, but they don't believe in their heart. All the way through Hebrews, it talks about the importance of uniting faith, of faith. Um, I'll make one point to you about Hebrews 6. Uh, verse 4 says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, or tasters of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him in open shame. That phrase right there, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. That's an interesting phrase. 
Um, if I call up Time Magazine when I get home tonight and I tell them that I'd like to renew my subscription, um, and they're going to say, okay, give me your name and address, and they put it in the computer, and they say, sir, I'm, I'm sorry, but we don't show that you have a subscription. And I said, well, that's, that's right. I don't have a subscription, but I'd like to renew my subscription. They're going to say, well, you can't do that. But I want to do it. Well, well we, we can't renew your subscription because you don't have a subscription. See, what they're telling me is that it's impossible for me to renew my subscription. Why is it impossible for me to renew my subscription? Because I never had a subscription. Why is it impossible to renew them again to repentance? Because they never repented. That's the context of the whole book of Hebrews. All right? There are guys at Dallas Seminary that have written 600-page doctoral dissertations. I refer you to them. <laughs> but it's a great question. But we've got to pull this together. I'm sorry? Who was hanging on to the Mosaic Law. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Did he really? There you go. See the body of Christ at work. Isn't that great? In touch. All right. Good. The name of my ministry is out of touch. Dot org. Here's the fourth angle on the power of God. We'll close with this. Uh, the power of God loves weakness. The power of God loves weakness. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If there's anything that we hate as men... We hate to be weak. We hate it. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the fact that he was caught up in the third heaven. God allowed him to go to heaven. God allowed him to see the glories of heaven. If you note verse 4, he says, And was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Now you got guys on Christian television that you can watch on these different networks who say they have been caught up to heaven. And what they do is then their whole ministry is running around churches telling about what they saw in heaven. Now, I find that really interesting because we know Paul went to heaven and Paul saw things which a man is not permitted to speak. See, Paul couldn't speak about it, but these yo-yos can. That didn't add up to me. Does that add up to you? And there's one guy in particular, he's been milking this for about 20 years, and then pretty much he had made the circuit, everybody had heard him, and then wouldn't you know it, God took him down the hill. And now he's on the tour talking about hell. That's good for another 15 years. I mean, that's, I mean this guy's got a thing going. Paul says, a man's not permitted to speak. Uh, look at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. What revelations? What he saw in heaven. Hey, if God took you to heaven and you saw things that no one else has ever seen, how would you feel about yourself? I think you'd feel pretty special. Because, you know, your, uh, your brother-in-law hasn't had that. And, 
You know, nobody in your family's ever had it. Nobody in your church has ever been caught up in that. See, when you have an experience like this, what happens is you get proud. It's just human nature. No one else has had what you have had. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. We don't know what this was. People speculate, but nobody knows what this is or what it was. Concerning this, I implored the Lord Lord, three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in strength. Not what it says. Power is perfected in what? Weakness. We hate being weak. We despise it. We hate it. Has your, has your back ever gone out on you and you couldn't get out of bed and go to work? Yeah, that, you hate it. You're just immobilized. You're there. You can't produce. You can't do anything. You are weak. We hate that because we want to be active. We want to be productive. We want to be contributing. We, we despise being weak. God makes us weak because it's when he goes on and says, He goes on and says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. (sighs) Why does God do it like this? Why does God do it this way? For me to become strong, God has to make me weak. That's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for Paul. What's your area of weakness? What is it? If you're not weak, the power of God can't be demonstrated in your life. Can I say this to you guys? God can't use strong men. A lot of us in here are strong guys. We have strong wills. So you know what God does? kicks the crap out of us and he makes us weak then he can use a strong man god can't use strong men but he can use strong men that are weak and then he uses us to his glory that gives me hope let's pray father we wouldn't do it this way but it's how you do it some of us have weaknesses in our temper some of us have weaknesses lord with uh, pornography Some of us, Lord, have weaknesses in our bodies. Some of us, Lord, uh, live with perpetual and constant pain, and it doesn't go away, and we pray, and the pain remains. Uh, Sometimes we are just baffled. But all we can do is go back to your word. For some reason, Lord, it's when we are weak that you make us strong, and you are glorified. We are at our best when we are weak. I think of Spurgeon, and when he was 19 years old, he preached to 10,000 people. It's pretty heady stuff for a 19-year-old kid. And someone called out fire, and there was no fire, and in the panic to leave, seven people were trampled. And Spurgeon thought he would never preach again. And every time he got up to preach for the rest of his life, in his heart was a fear that there would be a panic and people would be trampled and people would die. That was his greatest fear. 
And as I'm praying, this is just coming back to my mind. I haven't thought about this in a long time. But I, as I recall, Lord, there were, there were ten steps leading up to the pulpit. And he had such a fear of what might happen with a large crowd. And he spoke to large crowds all of his life. He had such a fear that with every step that he took up to the pulpit to preach, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He was counting on your power. He, he was the most powerful preacher on the face of the earth, but you made him weak before he gave every sermon. That's what you do to us. You make us weak so that we can become strong. We submit to you. We trust you. We, we're not going to understand it. We just submit to your truth. Give us the wisdom to do that. Encourage men here tonight, we pray, that in their weakness, you're making them strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.